0: Good morning, Grace Church. Again, my name is Eric Walter. I'm the pastoral intern here at Grace, and I'm very, very grateful to have an opportunity uh, to bring God's Word to you and to spend time in worship with you this morning. So I would encourage you, as you have an opportunity, to grab a Bible, uh, either on your shelf or on your phone, to be able to follow along. Our passage this morning is coming from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And as you're taking a moment to turn there or to tap there, let me just give a little bit of context as to where we've been so far in our series through the Gospel of Mark and where we're headed this morning. So over the past several weeks, uh, we have been following Jesus through a series of miracles that are designed to show the scope of his authority. Two weeks ago, we saw him demonstrate his authority over the realm of nature, and he did that by calming the storm out on the sea. And last week, we saw Jesus demonstrate his authority over the spiritual or the heavenly realm by delivering a tormented man from a legion of demons. And today, what we're going to see is Jesus demonstrate his authority over death itself, what the Bible elsewhere refers to as under the earth, the realm of the dead. And taken together, these miracles reveal that Jesus' authority is truly cosmic in scope. Elsewhere, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus will say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And these series of miracles demonstrate that very clearly. However, as we come to the passage this morning, it's very, very important for us to take a moment and to remember what the purpose of Jesus's miracles are. Because they were never intended to be an end in and of themselves. They were designed to be signs things that point beyond themselves to really reveal who Jesus is and what he has come to do so that we will respond appropriately. And I would argue that perhaps no other story in the Gospel of Mark points more clearly than this one to the reality of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. The story of Jairus and and his daughter and this unnamed woman from Galilee is an unbelievable demonstration of the gospel. And while there are two miracles that we're going to read in the passage, I believe that Mark wants us to see it as one story with one central point. Because in this story, Mark draws us into the agony and the desperation of those who are deeply affected by sickness and death. This is something that our culture seeks to insulate us from seeks to deny in every aspect of our culture. But in reality, and especially now, all of us in different ways are much more acquainted with these things. And so Mark in this passage is going to slow down and he's going to provide a level of detail that's really unparalleled throughout the rest of his gospel. Because he wants us, I think, to face the stark reality that because of sin, we are enslaved by the power and the fear of death. And he wants to give us space to really feel the difficulty of all that's going on, the uncertainty, the real weight of suffering, and the fear of grief. And he does this because it is only when the reality of suffering and death becomes personal to us that the gospel will be heard most clearly. That Jesus has come into the world to deliver from death all of those who turn to him, who grasp him by faith, who follow him with hope, and who ultimately rest in his love. That's where we're headed as we go into God's word. Um, So let's turn to Mark chapter 5 verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again into the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this portion of your word, that you have preserved it for us and that you have brought it to us today in the midst of our suffering, our agony, and even in the face of death. We thank you for the hope of the gospel, that Jesus, you have come to deliver us from the power of death as we turn to you. Would you please impart these truths to our heart, Holy Spirit? Press them into our being so that we might grasp you by faith and follow you with hope, and rest in your love. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. So in this passage, Mark is going to show us that even though, because of sin, we are under and enslaved by the power of sin and death, that Jesus has come to deliver all who turn to him from this power. And the first thing that Mark says here is that Jesus has come to deliver from death all who grasp him by faith. If we go back to the beginning of the story, what we'll see is a preoccupation with Jesus' physical presence. You see in verse 23 that Jairus' plea identifies Jesus' hands as what is necessary to make his daughter well. And in verse 27, the suffering woman says to herself with similar words, if I touch even his garments... I will be made well. Jesus' reputation for being a miracle worker followed him wherever he went. And as we've already seen throughout the Gospel of Mark, there is a bunch of misunderstanding that is associated with who Jesus is and what he has come to do. For many people, Jesus was simply an incredible miracle worker, someone that was able to channel the power of God that they needed or that they wanted. And what's very, very interesting is that after the woman experiences this great healing, Jesus responds to her with words that reveal what actually mattered in that moment. Look in verse 34. He says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. And Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that it's not a magical connection. It's not by the hands of Jesus. It's not by the grip of this woman that deliverance comes. Deliverance comes only by faith, by this woman's personal confidence in Jesus alone. And why this is so significant is it totally transforms the way we interpret the rest of the passage around this idea of grasping. Because what this shows us is that in order to grasp Jesus by faith, we first need to renounce our confidence in our own resources, And we need to humbly receive Jesus' resources. So if you look at verses 22, 25 through 26, verse 22 says that Jairus was a ruler of the synagogue. In the first century, this would have obviously meant to everybody that he was a man of great religious status. That he most likely had some form of political power, if not significant social influence. And the fact that Mark identifies Jairus by name, in fact, may be an indication that he was well-known and well-respected in the community of Galilee. But if you look in verse 25, as we turn to the woman, it says that Mark is drawing attention to the fact that not only did her disease, her flow of blood, not only was it chronic and debilitating, but that it had exhausted all of her medical resources and it had ruined her financially. It says that she had suffered under many physicians and that she had spent all that she had. Mark with Jairus and this woman, she is trying to draw attention to the fact that religious standing, political power, social status, medical technology, financial security, everything that we might associate with a good life has been rendered useless in the face of death. It's as if what the Christian philosopher and mathematician Pascal said is that the last act is bloody, however fine the rest of the play. In the end, they throw earth over your head and it is finished forever. As we come to Jairus and this woman, we see people who in the face of death have renounced their faith in their own resources. They realize how useless these things have become and they're looking to receive the resources of Jesus, which is something that we see especially in verses 27 through 33 with the story of the woman. It says that in verse 27, the woman heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And look in verse 29. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and Jesus, perce- perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Mark is making a really obvious connection between Jesus and the woman. And it's very remarkable. Notice that while everyone was bumping into Jesus, while everyone was touching his garments, Jesus was able to perceive in himself That power had gone out. That this connection had been made with this woman. The scriptures teach in a profoundly mysterious way that when we grasp Jesus by faith, by putting our confidence in him alone, that we are connected to him in a far deeper and a far more mysterious way than maybe we have the ability to understand. The Apostle Paul, it kind of explains it all throughout the New Testament when he says that by faith we are now in Christ. Romans 8, says it this way, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Mark is identifying that when we are united to Christ by faith and he is united to us, we receive everything that he is, his perfect righteousness, his satisfactory death, his bodily resurrection and entrance into his eternal kingdom. All the benefits that Christ has freely flows to those who are vitally united to him. And the reason that we don't fully and deeply appreciate this is because so many of us Approach Jesus like we approach our primary care physicians or our pediatricians, right? We go to them maybe once a year and we're okay to hear that we're a little bit sick and they're really good for our families and they're maybe good for us. But if we just get the right religious medication and we're encouraged just a little bit more, then maybe we can use God as another one of our resources in the life that we're building for ourselves. When instead, this passage is identifying so clearly that we don't need to look at Jesus. We shouldn't look at Jesus as a primary care physician. We should be looking at him as a vital organ donor, and that we are dying patients. All of our resources have failed us, and they will fail us. Without this vital union to Christ, we are doomed. Which begs a really important question. What are you clinging to with your life? Religious status? Political power? Medical remedies? Financial security? Jesus would say, Mark would especially say, right? Do not cling to these resources. They will not keep you from death. They will not help you in the grave. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, the death and the life of a Christian is not determined by his own resources. Rather, he finds both only in the word that comes to him from the outside in God's word to him. And so if you don't consider yourself to be a Christian this morning, I am pleading with you, turn to Jesus and entrust him with your whole life. Renounce your faith in your own resources. Be united Him. Grasp Him by faith because you will receive the death delivering resources that He promises and that He is the only one that has. Here's the reality. Even those of us who are united to Christ, who have grasped Him by faith and received the promise of deliverance we still must face suffering and face death in our lives. And so to do this, we need to continue to read the story and realize that we must not only grasp Jesus by faith, but we need to follow him with hope. Look at verses 35 and 40. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear Only believe. Try to imagine the gravity of Jairus' grief. Having renounced everything that you were clinging to and turning to Jesus and having received his assurance that he would help you only to have the final moments of your daughter's life given to another woman who is in need. It's, it's hard to imagine the pain and the confusion that must have filled his soul. Robert Bridges, a poet uh, from the UK in the 1900s, might have captured it when he wrote, Little at best can all our hopes avail us. To this, lift this sorrow or cheer us when in the dark, unwillingly, alone we embark. And the things that we have seen and have known and have heard of fail us. How do we walk with hope in the shadow of death? Jesus guides us as he guides this man through the lowest moments of his life. Follow me with hope, Jesus says. And you do that by ignoring the words of men and trusting in the promises of God. Look back at verse 35. It is clear that those who came to give the news, who came to Jairus, they said, do not trouble the teacher any further. They believed he was simply a miracle worker and his power ceased at the threshold of death. And I love in verse 36 here, it says that Jesus overheard what they were saying. But the word that's translated overheard might better be translated, Jesus ignored what they were saying. You see, Jesus heard the news that this little girl had died. And yet, he ignored the messengers and encouraged the man to do the exact same. In verse 36, it slows down. And I think it seems to imply that in the midst of all this chaos that was happening around him, that was going on in his own soul, Jesus locks eyes with Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. We see the same thing happen in verse 40, right? As the funeral mourners are laughing at Jesus' comments, he removes them from the family and says, you follow me. You do not listen to these words of people who do not know what they are talking about. Do not fear Only believe. And so, this family is is met with this ignoring of the words of men and the trusting in the promises of God. Jesus says in verse 36, The child is not dead, but sleeping. In the face of the devastating news and the chaos of a funeral and public ridicule, Jesus says, The child is not dead but sleeping. Because Jesus knows because of who he is and because what he has come to do, he can refer to death what the Apostle Paul calls the last enemy. He can refer to that awful reality simply as a nap. In 1 Thessalonians 4, this idea is echoed. The Apostle Paul writes, but we do not want you, dear brothers, to be uninformed "...about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as, as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep." And in verse 18 of that same passage, the Apostle Paul says, "...encourage one another with these words." Perhaps my favorite expression of these words of encouragement were coined by D.L. Moody, the famous preacher and evangelist. And in his autobiography, he wrote, Someday, you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead, and don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto His glorious body. I just love that phrase. Don't you believe a word of it? Follow Jesus with hope when you face the power and the fear of death, when the news continues to worsen, when you walk to the doors of the hospital, When the nights get harder and darker, and when you leave the funeral home, follow Jesus with hope, ignoring the words of men and trusting in the promises of God, because those who die in Christ have simply fallen asleep. Death is a nap for those who are alive in Christ. Now, if we come at this honestly, we need to remember and recognize that this hope at times will seem heavy. That that burden to follow Jesus may feel difficult. And that is why I think that the final passages of Mark here, we see that it is the last movement that is the most important, that Jesus has come to deliver those who have grasped him by faith, who follow him in hope, but ultimately those who rest in his love. Look at verses 41 through 43. And Jesus, taking her by the hand, said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. In verses 34 and 41, we catch a glimpse of Jesus' love. We see that it is compassionate, and that it is unfailing. As we look at verses 31 and, or 34 and 41, the words of Jesus' compassion are written so personally that it almost seems wrong to overhear them. In verse 34, we see Jesus looking to the woman who received healing and saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well. As the woman receives this healing, no one else in the crowd understands what's going on, but Jesus knew that he had been touched. By this woman and a connection had been made. And so he looks for her. He searches for her in the crowd and when he turns to her, even though the description of her is repulsive and the description of her would have communicated to everyone that she was cut off from society, Jesus was not repulsed. He was not conflicted about coming to her. Because he was united to her, he draws attention to her and this new relationship between them. Daughter, your faith has made you well. His compassionate love had given her wholeness, a restored body and a restored identity. No longer was she cut off from her community, but she had been welcomed into this new wholeness. In the second Moment of Jesus' love, as I just read, is seen in the house of Jairus. Having put the funeral mourners outside, Jesus moves toward this girl who had just died. In the first century for Jews, this would have meant that if he touched this dead body, he would have been rendered unclean, the ultimate expression of being cut off. And yet Jesus is not phased by this either. He gently touches her small hands and addresses her with those words, talitha kumi. And we shouldn't move past these words too quickly. Because Mark translates these words for us. He says, little girl, I say to you, arise. But he has given us these words in Aramaic. This is really, really significant because it was the common language of the day, not the language of commerce like Greek, and not the language of the religious institution, Hebrew. It was the language that this little girl and Jesus shared out in Galilee. As anyone who speaks English as their second language will tell you, when you hear a message being spoken to you in your native tongue, the one that is most common to your life, that is truly a sign of great love, of solidarity, and of compassion. And Jesus does all of this. To communicate that his love is not just compassionate, but that it is unfailing. In verse 42 it says that the girl hearing these words immediately got up and began walking. Put yourself back in the position of this girl's mother and father. They have renounced their faith and all their own resources and they turn to Jesus in desperation. He witnesses the suffering woman grasp Jesus by faith and receive this incredible healing. You've received the news that your daughter has died. You've struggled to follow Jesus in hope. You've tried to ignore everything that's going on around you, the words of the world, and you are trying desperately to trust in the promises of God. And yet it says, and this is my favorite translation of it, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Jesus reached down into death and gently brought his little girl back to life. That image is overwhelming. That Jesus' love would be so unfailing and his authority so cosmic that with a gentle word, he would bring her back from the dead. Yet, we need to remember that this miracle is not an end in and of itself. It is supposed to point us to the miracle and the promise of our own deliverance through Christ. Our own death in Christ. Our own hope of the resurrection in Christ. In 2010, Elizabeth Eppinger, or Lizzie as everyone called her, was a woman that I had the privilege of attending Bible college with. Lizzie was diagnosed with acute lymphoma and leukemia. And she battled and beat that cancer from 2010 to 2013, and again in 2015. And as she combated cancer, she went through several intense treatments, including a stem cell transplant. However, at the end of 2016, one year after receiving that transplant, the donor's stem cells was rejected by Lizzie's body, and it began attacking her. This is called chronic graft versus host disease. And there's no cure for it. And during this time, Lizzie chronicled her experience for us in a blog. And while Lizzie suffered greatly until her death, it is perhaps the last paragraph that she ever posted on that blog that is probably the most encouraging to us. Here's what she wrote. At this point... The main redemptive quality to my life this last year has become writing for you, savoring the sweetness of understanding Paul in Philippians 1.21, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He found joy in his suffering because God used it for good and encouraged his brothers to press on. But yet the only thing that would be sweeter, and in fact is the world's greatest fear, is to be out of the hopeless misery of this world and to look into the brilliant face of God, to be filled with his presence infinitely. The more pain I'm in, the more his redemptive hope and light shines through. And by his wounds, I have been healed. And then she's finished by saying, press on, Christian friend. Be curious, dear stranger. Have one month after posting that, on April 23rd, 2018, Lizzie faced death. And she knew in that moment more than ever before the compassionate and the unfailing love of her Savior. And so when your faith feels weak, or your hope feels heavy, or the promises of God seem so far off, rest in the compassionate and and unfailing love of Christ. That those who have fallen asleep and rest in Christ will one day hear his gentle voice calling out their name and saying, child, it's time to get up. And so, as this week has been unbearably hard for our nation and for some of you, as we have faced the stark reality that we, because of sin, are enslaved to the power of death and its fear. Hear the words of the gospel that Jesus has come to deliver those who grasp him by faith, who follow him in hope, and who rest in his love. And by the power of his life and his death and his resurrection, we will forever rest in the words of the Apostle Paul. Christian, all must be well. Let's pray.